almost four years ago now, could have been five, I was sitting in the um, D'Amateo's Roastery down in Gothenburg. Most of you have probably been there since the VOC earlier this year. Um, I sat in front of Mats. Mats was the founder and owner of D'Amateo. Uh, still is, of course. Um, and um, I signed a paper. I signed a paper that said that I'm going to start working with coffee. Um, I left a company that I run and I started to do dishes at D'Amateo. Uh, I was sitting there kind of nervous. Matt is a you know, big guy. He's, very, uh, he's a very funny guy. And he looks at me and he says, Patrick, you need to remember one thing in coffee. Everything takes time. And I looked back at him. He looked back at me. And he said again, Patrick, I'm serious. Everything has to take time. Now, I did not believe it back then. I definitely don't believe it now. It's been four years. I'm still young. I'm still new. I'm realizing that. And what I'm talking about today is not necessarily answers. I'm not old enough to have answers. I do have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of thoughts. We're going to share some of them with you guys today. So. Roasting for competition. It's always funny when you do a talk like this because they told you several months before to come up with a title and a concept. And normally I come up with a title, I send it in, and I end up coming speaking and don't really speak about the title because I'm into something new. That being said, I'm actually going to talk about this because this is relevant, right? Um, this basically means that what we're trying to do is that we're trying to customize the roast profiles that we do according to the situation where the coffee is going to be enjoyed, more or less. It's really very simple. If we start with a quick raise of hands, how many in here likes Kenyan coffees? Pretty cool. Um, how many in here likes coffees from Guatemala? Jesus Christ. Uh, how many in here like dark roast? Whatever that is, it's hard to define. How, how many inerlized coffees that are developed to 20% development? Whatever that is, I thought everyone would say yes. Uh, my point being is this. There is no perfect green coffee. There's definitely no perfect roast profile. And there's no perfect way to brew that cup of coffee. There's only a perfect combination of all of those three, right? And I basically started the first years of my, of my time in coffee looking into, you know, okay, we need that perfect, we need that perfect roast. We need that perfect roast, whatever that is. You roast coffee, you roast coffee, you're putting on a cupping table, you take some, you know, random amount of coffee in a cup and you pour some water on it, you, you know, you break it, you smell it, you take notes. And it's like fantastic aroma or, you know, sweet, transparent, bitter, burned, baked, whatever that is. Um, and so on and so on. And, and you're realizing after a shorter period of time that, well, if brewing coffee is really important, then I'm not sure if I'm evaluating this coffee right. Because I'm not controlling what I'm doing. And what I'm doing here is, is based on what we as a roastery have basically been working on for the last year. Meaning that every single note we take about our coffees in terms of production is based on a brew that we to some extent controls. Right? 
Meaning that if you go away from cupping, I would say like this. A standard cupping procedure today is dosing a certain amount of coffee in a glass, right? Or a bowl. Let's say 11 grams, just for fun. You grind that coffee. You don't really measure it when it comes out. You put it on a cupping table. You pour some water on it. And you fill the water all the way to the top because you know that the glass or bowl is filling up to a certain amount of water, whatever that is. And then you give it some time and then you break it and then you taste it. Then you write down what you think. And in the end of the day, you have your roast evaluation, right? That's more or less how it works, which is totally fine. The only issue here is what we started to do is that we started to basically measure everything. Meaning that the coffee that we grinded through the grinder being 11 grams from the start wasn't 11 grams when it came out. That's not really important. The important part is the fact that if you grind 10 cups, all of those 10 cups is going to have a different amount of coffee in them. There's no way that all of that coffee is going to come out exactly precise, right? You put it on a cupping table, you pour some water on it. After one year of measuring now, I can say that on average, if you just randomly pour water in a glass, your amount of water in each glass or cup will differ with plus minus five grams of coffee, water. Which, if you're into brewing coffee, you realize is a huge difference in extraction. Not only extraction, but also in TDS, which affects how the coffee tastes. It's really simple. And if you talk to any barista in the world, they would say that when I brew a V60 or an AeroPress or an Espresso or anything else, I would most likely weigh it, right? I would weigh the coffee that comes out of the grinder. I would put it in the machine. And I would most likely weigh the volume that comes out of the machine as well. I wouldn't pour plus minus five grams in a V60. I wouldn't doze randomly in a V60. But as roasters, at least I, when I started with coffee, I did that, right? And in the beginning, it was fine because I didn't understand how that actually affected the taste because I was cupping coffee, cupping coffee, and it took me such a long time and after a lot of measuring to realize that you can taste TDS. A lot of people talk about extraction as this, you know, awesome stuff. You, you asked, how did you brew your coffee? And people say, well, I brewed it to a 21% extraction or a 22% extraction, uh, whatever that means. But they forget that there's about, you know, a hundred different ways to hit that extraction. And that's all going to be based on your TDS. So I would like to argue that most of us in this room actually, flavor-wise and taste-wise, has a preferred TDS that we like. And depending on where I push that extraction, the cup is going to come out very, very differently, right? Now, this is basic brewing. Most baristas know this, right? But if you convert this to a cupping table, it gets interesting. Because if you know the TDS or the level of TDS is affecting how the coffee tastes, and we know that the level of extraction in the cup is affecting how the coffee tastes, can we then be sure that we're making informed decisions about how we roast? That's the main issue. And the biggest part of this is that when I started out roasting, or still even today, I'm not good enough to distinguish everything I do in the roaster in the cup. Meaning that I put some coffee in a machine, I apply a different amount of energy, we're going to talk a bit more about that later, and I get a result. But it's complicated. 
as a roaster or as someone who works with quality control or whatever you call it, you need to factor in green coffee. You need to factor in roasting. It's hard enough to distinguish between, is this the green coffee that tastes like this? Is this why I have this notes in my coffee? Or is this the roast that tastes like this? Is this why I have this in my coffee? You don't want to add on having, oh, is this just a fucked up brew? It gets too complicated. Now, a lot of people here are probably way more better coppers than I am, but I'm not. So I started to construct this, you know, set of rules. We're not going to talk about them today because they're kind of boring, but set of rules that I use when I cup, when, that we use when we cup, that is helping us reassuring the decisions that we do are at least not based on bad brewed coffee. Because how you brew your coffee will affect how the coffee tastes. Because it's a combination, right? A good example is some of the things that we do um, when we roast is that um, after, after a year now, I could definitely say that I have a preferred TDS in terms of taste. It's not really important what that number is. But what we do in terms of our quality control is that we look into cupping or, or brewing in terms of a full immersion brew several cups of the same coffee. Right? To just measure it, we lock in a TDS that gives us enough clarity to taste the coffee. TDS for me is mainly a clarity feature, right? And that kind of feature quite often ends up at 1.3 to give you some kind of reference number. And then what we do is that we pour different amount of water in it, naturally also changing our grind size because the different amount of water will also change your TDS, right? Pretty simple. So we do this and we get a very good range of our coffee. And we're not perfect brewers by any means, but what this has actually taught us is that we are now able to look beyond the brew and can, can say with some kind of accuracy that we know that this is not a brew fault. And going in from not measuring my cuppings um, to actually start measuring my cuppings, I'm realizing that around 60% of the cups that I'm tasting, I'm evaluating, I'm basing my next roast on, are bad brews. Actually, really shitty brews. Uh, and that's a problem, right? Sure enough, I can still taste the green coffee. A fantastic green coffee will still be awesome. That's not the discussion. A really, really bad green coffee, whatever that is, will also still be pretty bad. That's easy. But in terms of detecting what kind of features I applied by roasting that coffee, that gets very, very complicated, right? A lot of things with a very high TDS can be perceived as bitter, heavy, which is something that someone easily can link to roast faults, right? A very, very low TDS around, you know, 115, 120, um, that would be light. That could be underdeveloped. It's getting grainy. Not necessarily because the roast is fucked up. It could be. I've done plenty of those. But it could also be because the brew is simply not good, right? And there's a lot of features behind that. Naturally, you know, we go from grinders, we look into the birth, into the burst. We talk about water, which is also extremely important. Um, we fix that by simply measuring the water every time we cup, so we know. And it's not perfect, and it's not about being perfect, but it's about understanding the variables. Being that I can cup a coffee, I can calculate that the TDS is 1.32, um, and I can say the extraction is 21%, and I can write that in as that's something I like. Or I can cut the coffee and it's 
which is a relatively low TDS, depending on who you talk to, and I can factor that in, right? So whenever we make any kind of data concerning our roasting, it's always going to be together with water, together with TDS, together with extraction. It's really very simple. We're going to go into a few features about that, but first of all, I want to talk about this. Because this is kind of the only relevant thing. Because we know as roasters, we know as brewers, that none of the data we collect today is perfect. We collect a lot of random data. We have probes that doesn't really give us what we want. Um, probes are extremely different depending on where you are. Um, which goes with, with what I'm talking about today as well. Everything I'm talking about is based on what we do in our small roastery in Berlin. It will probably not work anywhere else. Probably not, right? But the interesting thing is, after measuring today, in terms of cuppings, well over three, yeah, roughly 3,000 TDS cupping bowls this year, more or less, we just start to see patterns. We do the same with roast. I roast everything I do when I roast. I roast, um, I write in toilet visits. Um, I write in every kind of data in between protocols, all of it, right? And if you look at a small amount of data, it doesn't make sense. And the issue with that is that it's not a perfect data doesn't exist. It never existed and it will never exist. That being said, you can still see patterns. You can still see clusters that are extremely relevant. It can help you make decisions. The only thing is that you need the volume. And I think a lot of people are not collecting enough data today with the argument that what we're collecting is not perfect. And that's true. They're only missing one important feature. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be good, and it has to be a very, very high volume. And then you start seeing the patterns, and then you can start making the decisions necessary to improve whatever you want to improve. Right? So some basic stuff. Um, we did go into a competition just now. I'm not going to talk about you know all of the numbers. That's not that interesting. More importantly, those numbers coming from our roaster, so that won't really give you anything anyway. But we did go into a competition, uh, Nordic Roaster Forum. Uh, not so long ago, awesome competition. Um, really great for us to be there, even though we're not technically a Nordic roastery. I'm Nordic, but not the roastery itself. Um, we went in with two coffees, Bifdukdina, Ethiopia, uh, Miravale, El Salvador, which we bought like three weeks, two weeks before the competition, stuff like that, because we didn't know that we were competing. Uh, so that was three batches in total, and we just tried stuff uh, and entered the competition. It was kind of fun. Um, I'm going to go through the two different curves, um, and I just want to talk about slightly what we adjusted with these curves to suit the competition better, right? A good example here is that we also competed in the German Roasting Championship a few weeks ago. Hannes, a dear uh, employee of ours, uh, entered the competition, and we were planning, talking, structuring roasts beforehand, right? You're writing this manual, and you're supposed to hand it in, and it's supposed to suit, you know, exactly this is my roast curve, and then you're going to go in and roast it. And he was sitting down, he was planning his curve, and then he came up to me and said, Patrick, you know, should I do this? And I looked at the curve and I said, well, the curve looks really cool, whatever that is, um, and it's probably really tasty. The only issue is that we're not the ones evaluating that cup. So what we did is we backtrack, um, you know, other competitions around Europe, what kind of roast do people win with? 
We looked at the German coffee scene. What kind of coffee do people like? We looked at the judges who's going to come there. What kind of coffees do they like? What kind of companies do they represent? And we ended up customizing a roast that we thought would suit that competition really well. And that's a roast that we most likely would not like, honestly, which you know may be a good or bad thing. But we ended up second. And the guy had been roasting for like seven months. That is total roast time. So it is really about trying to understand which situation are they tasting my coffee in and how can I make that coffee taste good in that situation. Because as we knew before, everyone here likes different coffees. Everyone here likes different degrees of roast, different origins, different brew methods, different any, anything, right? So why in the world should I go for something that I perceive as perfect when that doesn't exist? It doesn't make any sense, right? We're gonna come back to that later. This is uh, the first curve. We're gonna also look at a, a comparison with this curve. This is Bifty Gudina, um, a relatively straightforward curve. Um, 12 kilo batch, 25 kilo roaster. Um, I'm gonna talk more about these numbers later because they are interesting in relation to another curve I'm gonna show you guys. Um, second curve. Um, so basically what we did with, with Minervale and what we did with all of the uh, coffees is there is some features in, you can't really talk about Nordic roasting because no one really knows what that is. What is a Nordic roast style? People call it light, I don't know. Uh, but there is a few features uh, in the roast that will easily give you a very clean, transparent, intense roast profile, right? Now I'm not sure if this is correct for any other roaster in the world, but for our roast machine, if you want a clean, crisp, light, Nordic style, whatever that means, coffee, this is how you do it, right? There's a few key features. Um, this is again, is a 10 kilo batch. It's a relatively, us considered, low drop in temperature. Um, it's a very smooth declining ROR. You can always talk about if that's a good thing or a bad thing. In this case, it worked. Um, the most important thing here is that we actually moved up our average ROR, being the temperature development of the coffee, uh, up with like, 1.5 points. So normally if we would roast, this curve would be lower. Giving us in our situation a slightly heavier coffee, to some extent a sweeter coffee, depending on what you think is sweet, um, and a way more rounded coffee, and more importantly a coffee that will extract in a certain way, right? And we figured that if we want to do well in this competition, we need to change that. We need to go in with a different approach that would suit that kind of market. Simply looking at who won the previous years. Tim obviously won a few times. Um, you know, Damateo, we have Drop Coffee doing really, really well last year. And all of those have some similarities in roasting. Not, not a lot, but some of them, right? And it's all really clean, it's all really crisp. That's the main thing with those coffees that I take with me. Um, so that was kind of what we're doing. And a better example of that is this. Um, this is two versions of Biftu Gudina, our Ethiopian coffee, right? Um, and what we see the red curve being is the way that we normally would roast it. And the blue curve is the profile for the actual competition, right? And it doesn't look that different, but it's a massive difference in this profile, right? And that difference we see up here. Uh, the highest lines here are we, what we refer to as exhaust or environment temperature, and which is probably the most important curve when you roast as well, but that's a different topic. Um, what you can see is that the red curve is going up 
very high. And you see that the blue curve is not going up very high. Pretty simple. Uh, if you look at the ROR's, they're relatively similar um, regardless of the duration of the roast. But the most important part here is that this coffee is usually roasted with a pretty, a relatively high gas setting to our system in the beginning, being that the environment temperature is going up a lot, right? Which is creating this very rich, spicy, heavy version of beef to gudina, which we think is really, really cool. It's extremely sweet. Um, the average ROR in the roast is a bit lower than the blue curve. And more importantly, the ROR is going down way longer in the end of the roast. We're almost touching zero ROR, which we can always discuss if that's a good or bad thing, but that's how we do it. And we realized that going into this competition, we need to change something. So anyone who, who tasted Bifurina the last two, three weeks, they will have a slightly different profile to what we previously had, because we believe that we needed to change something to get it a bit more interesting for the cuppers that would evaluate our copy, right? And so basically what we did is that we changed energy distribution to being relatively high in the, in the start of the roast, the first three minutes, to basically turning over to being extremely low, right? So a very, very low gas setting, wrapping up continuously over the roast. Uh, the average gas setting is, the highest gas setting in the blue is extremely low in relationship to the red curve, right? So it's a very different curve. It gives a very different approach, a very different taste in the cup which is very relevant, right? And this is something that we are really, really interested in. This, like, this is really simple. Um, this is basically where I have all my foundation in terms of roasting. This is something that I see as a huge issue. Uh, I know that I'm maybe the only one who does, but the best roasters are the best brewers, the best brewers are the best roasters, the kind of end of discussion. Um, you need to factor in extraction and brewing to how your coffee tastes, always. People who understand this are people that roast very, very good coffee. A good example of that is Benny Minute Drop Coffee, legend. He is just as a good brewer as he is roaster, because he can connect them both, right? Thinking about roasting coffee like this is actually putting you in a situation where you don't need to have a roast that is perfectly sweet, perfectly acidic, perfectly all of this at the same time. You can choose which features in the roast you want to highlight, and then you can add on the rest with brewing. Because there is a connection here, right? And that is, that is very much what we're going to. A good coffee is not always a good coffee, which is something that I've been discussing a lot, uh, a lot the last few weeks. And uh, I truly stand behind this. Um, I think a good coffee in terms of a green coffee is always a good coffee. But I don't think a good brew is always a good brew. That's the main distinguish here. Right? An awesome green coffee, sure enough, you know, grind it through, put some water on it, and it will not taste bad. And if that is our goal, that's perfectly fine, but we're aiming for something else. Right? So a good coffee is not always a good coffee. A good coffee is a good coffee if it's processed right or rigid, harvest right, roasted right, whatever that is, and brewed right. Obviously, taste, flavors, is an extremely subjective thing, meaning that what I think is a good coffee is not what you guys think is a good coffee. It's not really about that. It's about controlling all of the variables so that you know, right? Because before I started with this, I didn't realize that I had a preferred TDS. I didn't realize that I liked some styles of coffees with this extraction and this extraction, right? I didn't know that. 
I know that simply because we measured, we tried, and we looked into it, right? Understanding. That's really the only thing we're doing. We're not trying to push the, the best roastery in the world. We're not trying to push the best profiles in the world because we don't know how to, right? The only thing that we're doing now, I'm doing now, is trying to understand what the fuck I'm doing. Oh, but it is. And it's very simple. Because we're new at this. And we say this all the time, some, some kind of, I don't know, cool, cool argument to something. But we are. We're actually totally brand new to this. Some people have been here way longer than I have, of course. Um, but at the same time, we're still learning. We're still developing, right? New farming. New roasters. New programs. New books. New brew methods. We're still doing so many new things, right? And if I would say today that my coffee is perfect, would mean that I would probably stop looking. Because if my coffee is perfect, why should I look? Right? So there is an issue, there's a problem, there is a danger in saying that, well, my coffee is awesome, let's never change it. We do an, on average, when we get a coffee in roughly 40 to 50 different profiles over five, six months. Roughly. And I'm not saying difference in, you know, two seconds there and, you know, 0.2 more gas there and a bit more exhaust there. I'm saying different. Because we're discovering that what we do, we're trying to understand what we do, we're trying to understand how different coffees react to different things, and that's our main thing. This is what we need to do. This is the important part of where we are today. And we need to realize that there's a shitload of more things we need to know. So, wrapping up. I've been talking too, way too long. In the end, we're all just cowboys. Um, like, I realized this, um, you know, in the coffee right now, we're a few really annoying young people that are very loud. I'm one of those. Uh, I talk a lot. Um, I post a lot. I ask a lot. I question a lot, which is mainly what I do. Um, and I do that because I have to. Because that's the only way for me to progress, right? And, and it's interesting, and it's, it's at the same time very humbling hearing the, the previous talker and, and talking about you know, their situation starting up a roastery and the, and the journey that they have. And I'm realizing that my first roaster was the roaster that he just bought. Meaning that we have a generation of coffee professionals that start somewhere else. Right? And us, me, we need to both go back in the past, learn what we have done. Just as important as moving forward. But at the same time, we young cowboys, like we need the older generation. We need the people that started out 10 years before us. We need that combination. Meaning that when we come in and say, you know, let's you know, measure all the cupping bowls, or let's do whatever you want to do, we still need to work together on this, right? Because we're not stopping, and there's no reason for anyone else to stop as well. And they started somewhere else. Most of the people that started roasting and working with coffee, you know, 10 years before I did, has probably most likely accomplished way more than I would ever do in my lifetime, right? It's just that they started with a completely different starting point, right? So what I'm trying to do now and what my main interest is, is to try and find that connection. Meaning that how can we sync our you know, young, annoying people that talk too much with the more experienced people that have all the knowledge that we also need, right? 
I don't believe what Matt's told me that this is a slow-moving industry. Well, I believe it in the sense that it is, but it doesn't have to be. And we're slow mainly because of the processing. We're slow mainly based on how we actually do our work and how similar all of our roasteries work, right? We're not differentiating enough. We're not agile enough. We're not efficient enough. We're not testing enough because some of us are already done. And there's no way in hell we can be done. Thank you. Was that was time? way over time. What was that about? Oh, was it? Way over well, time. I always talk too much. Well, it, there was you great... You should have a... I did ask for someone to time it so they could, you know... I think Jen was waving at you through the window, but oh, you were too uh, into it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no. no, I mean, listen, there was some fantastic content in there, and I'm really pleased um, that, you, that you did get it out there. It means you guys have got a shortened amount of time to ask questions, but we're going to have a panel where you can grill him then as well. So is there any questions out there that you'd uh, like to ask? Thank you. Um, you're saying that you need to connect the brewing with the roasting. What usually roasters say is that you need to connect the beans to the roasting. Depending on where it's growth or the farming methods, you're not going to have the same roasting style, which I don't think is like the only point of view i feel like if you roast one style and then change beans you always have a different result but you can adapt it to the bean well that wasn't really clear was it um so uh, what i'm just saying is are you saying that you could have one roast style and just adapt it to the brewing and then the grain bean will follow not not by by any means okay. uh not by any means uh, we are still trying to, and, and that's the, another talk probably, but like, diversifying your approach based on green coffee is, is probably the, like, the most important thing. Um, like a good example is that you, you, get, you get a Kenyan coffee in, and it's a different Kenyan coffee. Like, uh, most people carry, I think, two, three Kenyan coffees over the season now. This summer, I see most roasteries do that. And um, The one thing I can say for sure is that all of those Kenyan, if all of those Kenyan coffees are roasted the same, none of them are optimized. So that, that's a totally different story, and, and you should be as diverse in your approach to, to roasting that green coffee. Um, my main pitch is that I think roasters are actually, in general, relatively good at this. We're getting pretty good at understanding our green coffee more and more. Um, I would say the main issue with, with roasting today is that roasters don't brew coffee, in general. I mean, they brew coffee every once in a while, but they don't really brew coffee. I spend just as much time brewing coffee as I spend roasting coffee. Right. Um, so the main reason for not talking so much about green coffee is that I think that that is something that we are getting better at, which is which is fantastic. And, and this is probably applicable to that as well. It's definitely applicable to how you evaluate um, crops at origin, which is also a lot of cupping bowls which are you know randomly uh, poured and not really measured. And sure enough, you know the awesome will be awesome, the bad will be bad. But we pay a lot of times based on scoring, right? And I would argue that if you have the range between an 83 point versus an 87 point, and you add on the factor of bad extractions, ununiform extractions over time, with scoring that coffee, that score could end up 
wherever in that range, depending on the brew. But uh, um, now brewing coffee is mainly because the the it is a connection, and it is extremely relevant, and it's it makes our roasting better. Of course, like that's based on you need to like our roasting to to actually buy what I'm saying. But um, there is a lot of I tasted a lot of coffee in my career that I I myself roasted and I just fucked up when I brewed it in cuppings and they tasted like shit. And some of the decisions. Some of the decisions I've made roast-wise, that one costs us a shitload of money, um, talk about Damateo as well, if they're, if they're here, um, is, you know, I, I made some wrong decisions. And I did it based on my brew, and I don't like making wrong decisions. Therefore, I make sure that my brew is correct, and I probably still make wrong decisions, but I don't make it because of my brew is bad. I make it because of something else. So one down here, and then we'll, we'll have to go to the panel, so you, uh, you get the final question. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna stand up and say it was boring and walk out like last time. He he did that the last time. <laughs> he, he honestly did. It was it, a different. It was a though. joke, but uh, and I had to go for a train, which I don't. Um, no, what I'm most interested in, and I guess that's kind of related to what I do in coffee, is if you're changing your profiles, you know, like 40, 50 times over a period of six months, do you get 40 or 50 complaints? So one guy goes, it was tasting amazing. And you're like, well, I've changed it. It's like, well, it was tasting amazing. Because like you said, everyone has preference. Yeah. So you're kind of upsetting, ev do you think you're upsetting everyone just at different times? Well, I, I think that, that's, a, that's a very, very long answer, but I'm going to try to keep it short. Uh, I think one, there, there is what, what customers want from us is consistency. They want consistency and they want communication. Meaning that if you are a roastery working like we do, um, consistently changing, uh, we need to communicate this. Um, that being said, I get more people saying that in the beginning, let's say, uh, let's say uh, Kambanji, a competition coffee, Kenya, where we're going to compete next week. We're pretty excited. We're doing a really cool thing with it, which I'm only going to tell you if it works. And um, um, I had some really good feedback on it in the beginning of the summer. People were extremely happy. Then I had a choice to make. Either I would stick with that and have people being happy, have some few Instagram posts, which is cool, and, uh, or I would try to make it better. And the cool thing is that the best versions of that coffee I tasted last Sunday. That was the best version of that coffee. That was better than anything else I ever done. And if I would have stopped in July when I first launched that coffee, when we launched that coffee, then that coffee would never have went up to that potential. Right? So the only consistency that we're looking for is that we consistently don't want to suck. I think that's when you have an issue. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Like, that's the thing. Everything we do is based on, I'm, I work on average 75 hours a week uh, with coffee. Lightweight. Uh, <laughs> is that all? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You, you probably work way more. No, but like, the thing is that it takes a shitload. A lot of the things that we do, we only do because we put the time in. I realize if you have a classic model with eight to five, a limited amount of hours, you will never be able to do some of this stuff, which is therefore more important to just share and talk and ask. Because you know, out there, there's some crazy Swedish dude who would do it. Then just, if you don't want to do it yourself, ask. Um, and again, we, we don't really have any answers, but I can tell you that our customers are, as far as I know, pretty happy. Um, and we're more happy. And in the end of the day, you know, why stop now? 
I think I think backing that up, the evolution of the roast profile is, you know, it just it never stays still. The coffee never stays still. So why should it? It's always going to evolve to find the very best. And I think that's come across in the talk about, you know, the evolution and continuing to move. Please, huge round of applause for Patrick. Thank you.